got to say is you guys are awesome. Uh, what, a, uh, what a great summer that we would get to enjoy a summer like that, uh, given the situations that we've all been dealing with, and I'm so grateful we got to, um, to have that time together. Amen? Yeah, for our neighbors and families and fun. Well, to get started today, how many of you remember what this thing is? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've seen plenty of those, some of us in our day, right? You haven't really lived until you plugged in your electric shaver or your blow dryer at the same time you decided to listen to the stereo, and then everything went dark, <laughs> and you had to feel your way through to find that thing and change one of those fuses, right? It's, it's an old fuse box. Uh, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so we had great music, but um, we built a lot of houses back then that had no idea all the stuff we would eventually plug into them. And so now sometimes when we try to plug all that stuff in, uh, it just overloads the circuits and it can't handle it, right? It just shuts down. And I, uh, I kind of think of that as a metaphor for the past, I don't know, 18 months or so. It's almost like the things we've all been going through, our emotional circuitry was never really designed to handle that kind of a load day after day. And yet stuff just keeps getting plugged in. And at some point you feel like, I think it's all just going to shut down, right? can't handle this kind of uh, this kind of load because as uh, Jeremiah mentioned in his prayer time which I so appreciated and Greg alluded to there's been a lot of a lot of sadness hasn't there a lot of grief a lot of hello <laughs> a lot of uh, frustration and um, not at you Jacob uh, just frustration in general <laughs> A lot of disappointment and um, pressure. Just a whole lot of stuff, it feels like, just keeps getting plugged into our circuits. And sometimes we can't handle it. And that stuff, of course it's personal. All that stuff's personal. But you know, when you're part of a family, uh, even like uh, our church family, the Meadow Heights family, we also start to feel the accumulation of that stuff as a family, don't we? When somebody's grieving, as Jeremiah read from Scripture, we grieve with them. And yes, we're happy with them too, but on the downside, um, I think about all of the funerals that have been in the past 18 months. I think I've mentioned this before. I don't remember uh, more funerals in such a short time in the almost three decades I've been here on staff at this church in some capacity or another. I start to feel, when my phone rings, Jacob, I start to feel almost like a PTSD response. You know, it's almost like my my throat gets, my heart gets caught in my throat. You know, I hear that helicopter, which always goes over our house, um, that's taking people to the hospital somewhere. And I, I wonder, who is it? And what are they dealing with? And is my phone going to ring in a moment? And I'm going to find out. And I think when we feel that loss and that absence, I'm feeling it this morning that there are people who are missing among us who, who would have been here if not for something difficult. And we feel your loss and we feel your pain because we're a family, amen? amen? And we begin to feel those things and carry them together. And Our church has had some of her own pain. We ended in the last 12 to 18 months what was a really beautiful chapter in our church's story of being one church in three locations since we're no longer gathering over in the beautiful Arcadia Valley on Sunday mornings. And that loss, that change has been deeply felt by many of us. It's a hard thing. Um, maybe it's something that seems like it would be as simple as, oh, gathering times change, and the one I like to go to doesn't happen anymore, because some of you are, uh, are uh, not early birds. 
And so nine o'clock is too early for you to be in church. And so you're still struggling to try to figure out how to get here at nine when you liked that 1030 version we used to have, you know, or, or whatever it is. And, and then when you have, a, you have to shuffle the decks and figure out, am I going to be on site or online? Am I going to be at the early or the late? Am I going to this town or that town? I wonder what my friends are doing. And then sometimes your friends make different choices and you're missing some of the connections with people that you used to have. And that kind of hurts, you know? And then you worry about some of the folks who you haven't seen them in a long time and you wonder, are they, are they coming back? Or surely they haven't just reinvented their lives to leave faith and church completely out, right? Like they're going to do this somewhere else and another family use their gifts and be on mission for Jesus or, or not. Do I call them? Do I not call them? And that gets a little difficult. And um, I think the political rancor that we have in our society right now doesn't help. Amen? That um, so often it feels heartbreaking to watch the civic discourse play out the way it is. It's especially heartbreaking when you see disciples of Jesus who appear at least to pledge greater allegiance to a political party or a position than they do to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And you think, what, what's happening to us anyway? And I think I've said this before, but if I haven't, I'm going to say it today. Uh, I personally have never felt so sad for so long in my life than I have the past 12 to 18 months as a pastor, as a friend, as a neighbor. I feel like my heart just keeps breaking, and I some days don't know how to quite get it back together, you know? And maybe you felt like that, and maybe you think, man, you must have a charmed life if this is the worst you've experienced. I didn't say this is the worst I've experienced. <laughs> I've had some pretty deep heartaches in my life. I said so sad for so long in such an unrelenting fashion. And sometimes it feels like that sadness has become weariness, you know, <laughs> like, or anxiety. I'm not, a, I'm not an overly anxious type guy, you know. I'm usually pretty chill, but man, I've had some anxious moments. And I feel a little troubled, you know, not just about today, but like, what's this week going to bring? I don't know. Are y'all with me on this stuff? Yeah. And your pastors have wrestled, of course, during all of this to make a lot of decisions that have been difficult to make. And I know that our hearts have been to do what we can to uh, honor God, to love our neighbors, <laughs> to stay faithful to that deepest calling that we have as a church, as a people of God. But those decisions have never been harder or less certain, or had such a short shelf life. Sometimes we put a bunch of effort and prayer and study into making a call and it feels like tomorrow or the next week we gotta change it all over again. You know, like nothing really lasts. Some of you are experiencing that in your workplaces as well. And of course, then we watch those decisions play out in the lives of you, hundreds of people that we love and care about deeply. And sometimes that's hard. And we see our staff or incredible volunteers who are the ones who really make the magic happen. We see them put at risk or stretched really thin. And sometimes we have to wonder, are we going to make it? Like, is our church actually going to survive this kind of disruption or not? I found some comfort in uh, this from the psalmist who says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Now what I like about that is it says the Lord's close to the brokenhearted. 
He doesn't just come to rescue us from it. He's with us in it. Amen? While we're waiting for the rescue, while the timeline's playing out, the Lord is close. He's not far away. We're not waiting for him to show up. We're not begging him to be here. We're just learning to be with him because he's with us. And that, my friends, is really good news, isn't it? It's probably really good news for somebody in this room right now. But... um, One of the other things we've had to reflect on during this past season has been uh, not just this grief and loss and all of these challenges, but we began to say um, the kind of thing we always ask, which is, where is God at work even in the middle of this chaos and crisis? What's the Spirit saying? Is there some place we can join God in what He's doing? And I think one of the most significant ways we felt His prompting Uh, was that decision last year to begin operating as one church with one team. I'm not overstating it. Listen to me, friends. I'm not overstating it to tell you that that is at least, um, I'll say it's the singular reason that we have survived this thing so far as well as we have. That we could quickly coordinate our resources and consolidate those resources and say together, let's come back together and figure out how to be sure that we can handle the situation that we're facing. And I want to say uh, a thank you to our pastors, <clears throat> to our staff, and to our incredible leaders, and all of you who serve so tirelessly, so relentlessly. You have served this church over these last 12 to 18 months, and you've just hung in there. You've kept doing it. You've led us well. You've loved us well. You've made such an investment, and we owe you everything in this church family. And I'm so grateful for your deep devotion to Jesus and to us. Thank you for that. I uh, think another place that we sensed the prompting of God as we prayed those questions was uh, to maybe reimagine that this wouldn't have to just be a survival challenge. What if there's a surrender opportunity in all of this? And I think disciples of Jesus, the more we mature, the more we look for those. Like, how could I surrender to what I see God doing? If, If my eyes could be opened up, if our eyes could see with fresh vision what God's up to, what would that do? Is it possible that God could use a disruption to help us get ready for something, not just get through something? Now listen, that impulse is driven by some deep convictions around here. We believe that God is never out of options to take something that's evil and to figure out a way to use it for good, amen? We think God never abandons his kids. We think he's never overwhelmed by whatever is overwhelming us. And he has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the work of his people on planet Earth. And so we just leaned into that. Said if if that's the kind of faith that we profess, what would that look like in a disruption of this sort? And so we prayed and we've watched and we've listened for the voice of God. And along the way, we feel like maybe he's giving us a little more clarity about who we are, what we do, how we do it, why we do it, and so forth that might help us get ready for the next season. And um, one of the very first places that we sensed that was with uh, our big dream. We began asking, is it possible that our big dream needs to be tweaked a little bit to better fully describe what we do? For over a decade, we've said that our big dream is to be an unstoppable force of God's love that changes our world. But uh, we're going to add a couple of words, and we're going to edit a couple of words, and we're going to strengthen that dream for the next decade or so. Because if God's dream is really going to come true and his kingdom will come in his earth, his, on earth as it is in heaven, we think that we're going to have to equip people to become 
an unstoppable source of God's love that changes our world. That it can't just be about um, being something. We got to talk about how do we get there? We get there by equipping people. We can't just be a teaching center. This is a training center for life. That's how the local church works. We equip people to become because we're constantly being transformed and we are transforming, right? And so we're helping people grow in their relationship to Jesus, what we sometimes call discipleship. We equip people to become, I love this, an unstoppable source of God's love. Not, none of these ideas are new. We've held all these ideas all along. It's just that maybe we need to name them up front and center so that we can be sure we never forget that for some crazy reason, God put his mission in our hand. God looks at us as his children today and he says, you go be my hands and my feet in the community as we were for neighbor day last weekend. That if my love is going to show up in the world, it'll show up in your bodies, in your actions. That we're a source of God's love more than we are a force of God's love. Amen? We're a source of God's love. We are the source of God's love in this world. Now, I know that may just seem like verbiage or whatever. I get that. But many of you have memorized the old big dream statement. Like, you really get it. You know, you kind of own it. So there's some importance to words. But you're probably asking, well, how's that going to work? I get it. It sounds good. You know, it's good on paper, but what does becoming look like? How do I know if I'm becoming? Well, I'm glad you're asking that question because we asked that question too. Our shorthand for that around here has been for some time uh, a high focus on Jesus. We say we learn from Jesus. That's how you know if you're becoming uh, a source of God's love. You're learning from Jesus. You love like Jesus. You live as Jesus in our world. But of course, those kind of beg the question too. Well, what does that look like? How do I know if I'm learning from Jesus? What am I going to learn from him? Uh, how, what's loving like Jesus actually look like? What's living as Jesus actually look like? And so we asked those questions too. And as we double-clicked on each of those things, um, what we ended up identifying were 10 practices for becoming. 10 practices for becoming that change God dreams for our world. And uh, I'm not going to go into them in any depth because we're actually going to begin talking about that next weekend. Our pastors are going to spend the next 10 weeks from now through Thanksgiving. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Uh, digging into these 10 practices, one each week. And so today I'm just going to give you a sneak peek, okay, just a little preview of something that I think is going to really help shape our life together uh, for the next season. Uh, well, let's look at these change agents real quickly. These are 10 practices for becoming the change God dreams for our world. Now, first of all, we all know change is personal, right? It starts with me. It's not private ever. But it is personal. Change begins with me when I'm learning from Jesus. So let's look at these three practices for learning from Jesus. Do we have those up there? First of all, I have to have my eyes open. i got to be able to notice God at work in and around me. And once I notice God at work in and around me, I have a choice in front of me, don't I? Because now I have what God's up to compared to what maybe I was up to or how the world is functioning. And once I see those things in contrast, i got to choose which one of them I really do want more. And once I choose which one I want more, I will be compelled to surrender to God's love again in my life in a new and fresh way. And then you rinse and repeat. I see what God's doing. I choose what I want. And then I surrender to by doing something with my body. We're going to dig into that for the next three weeks. I'm learning from Jesus over and over when I do that. 
Now, once the change begins in me, you can't keep that change from happening to we. Because once you're changing and I'm changing, it starts to spill over into our relationships as we love like Jesus. And to love like Jesus, let's show up uh, the next uh, setup there if we could. I have to bring my true self. No hiding, no pretending, no facades. I show up as the real me. And I show up full of grace and truth. That is the grace and truth that we see in Jesus. So we begin to embody that as his his people, and we become good news proclaimers. The one thing you see Jesus do more than anything else is announce the good news of the kingdom, and we discover ways to do that in our real everyday life that actually blesses other people. Are we love like Jesus loved? And then once that change begins to infect we, you can't keep it from extending to the 573 and beyond. So we will then move out and live as Jesus in our world. And I live as Jesus when I make my unique contribution. I know something about God's dream for my life. And then I begin to rearrange my life to have the best chance of that dream coming true. So I begin to live with intentionality by design. And of course, we continue to cultivate these blessed practices we've been working on for years that you, you exhibited last weekend with our neighbors as we live missionally as God's blessing people in the world. And maybe best of all, eventually, you may get the chance to guide somebody else to learn and to love and to live too. This is how we equip people to learn from Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to live as Jesus. We equip people to become. As our pastors begin to dig into this for the next 10 weeks, we're going to introduce you to some tools and some training that we've paired with every one of these. Because again, it's not just nice language. We actually have tools and training that we are introducing over the course of this year that you'll get to experience that'll actually help those practices become real in your life. We equip people to become. Now, Again, maybe you can appreciate all of that, but maybe you don't geek out on it like some of us do. I get that. Because you may be asking yourself, okay, that's great. That's, you know, whatever. What's on the line for me? I think that's a fantastic question. I'm actually going to give you two answers to that question. What does that mean for you? First of all, Lawrence Gonzalez wrote a disturbing book called Deep Survival. And his thesis is this. We are all deciding right now whether or not we will survive the next crisis that comes our way. Now, see, what we tell ourselves is, when the crisis comes my way, I'll rise to the occasion. Gonzalez says that's actually not what happens in real life. In real life, you don't rise to the occasion, mostly. You fall back to your level of training. So, for instance, if you uh, are a skier and you encounter an avalanche to whatever degree you have control over surviving the avalanche, is probably going to be related to whether or not you paid attention in ski school when they did the avalanche lesson. If you trained for avalanches, you have a far better chance than if you thought, nah, I'm not going to have an avalanche. And then when it gets here, I'm just going to, I'll power through, right? Mm -mm. You do not rise to the occasion. You almost always fall to the level of your training. You made your decision about survival when you were in ski school, not when the avalanche happened, because in the avalanche, it's too late to Google what to do in an avalanche. (laughs) If you're a first responder, some of you are firefighters and you serve in law enforcement and so forth. If you're a first responder, if you're on some of the folks in our medical profession who we're so grateful for these days who are on the front lines of all of this stuff, 
You know, you get into a crisis situation and the ER is filling up rapidly or you're in the middle of a fire, you don't all of a sudden figure out what to do in the middle of a fire. You hope you paid attention in fire school. Your other buddies and gals hope you paid attention in fire school, right? Because you're going to fall back to the level of your training. If a pandemic hits, my friends, and all of a sudden the pressure's on you and your family and your marriage worse than you have ever experienced, right away you're going to find out how healthy you are. You're going to find out how healthy your marriage is. Because you're probably not going to rise to the occasion, at least not for long. You will eventually wear out and drop back to the level of preparation you had for the next crisis to come. When everybody's on everybody else's last nerve, it's too late to get ready. You better be ready. Amen? Christians do a very weird thing. Oh, we do a lot of weird things. But one of the weird things that Christians do is we tell ourselves that when the moment of crisis comes, we're just going to all of a sudden become people of deep faith and great wisdom. That is not how this works, my friends. You will fall to the level of your training and discipleship when the crisis comes. You don't have time to fix your relationship with Jesus in that moment and hope you will survive it. Mike Glenn says that when Jesus was in the wilderness tempted by the devil, some of you know that story, he was quoting scriptures he learned as a kid. When we see Jesus hanging on that cross in deep agony, the most horrific moments of his life, he's praying prayers and saying scriptures to help him get through that he had been practicing and learning his entire life. If you didn't understand this before the last eight months, I hope nobody's missing it right now. Things in your life are going to eventually go wrong. You will get the phone call. You hoped you'd never get. And someday you will sit in a doctor's office and a doctor will say words to you you prayed would never come. In some unexpected moment, my friends, the phone will ring, the doorbell will ring, and something will come on your radar you hope to get to your dying day and avoid. But it will happen. Jesus told us in this world, you will have trouble. He even went so far as to say the storms are going to come and the rain is going to fall and the winds are going to blow. And the only ones who will survive that are the people who have established their lives solidly on the rock of me. That's what Jesus said. Amen? And when the storms come, you don't have time to run and check the foundations. You won't be able to get ready. You better hope that you're already ready. We are deciding right now whether or not we'll get through whatever it is we're going to have to go through someday. And um, that, I know, may be a little morbid, <laughs> but it's true. And we like to speak the truth around here. And I just wanted you to re be remembered today that some of the effort we're putting into here as a church family it, to get clear about these kinds of things is to say we've got to train people to learn from Jesus and love like Jesus and live as Jesus because discipleship is our training for the moments when everything goes wrong and everything will eventually go wrong. Now that I told you I'd give you two answers. I, I like the second one far better. It's far more compelling to me. So let's just flip it for a minute. Discipleship isn't just your training for when things go wrong. Discipleship is the invitation of Jesus to a whole new way of being in the world. He says, I have a whole new life for you in my kingdom, which is different from life you'll receive and, and learn anywhere else. 
Come, learn from me, he says. And here's his assignment. He says, love one another. As I've loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, love the way you're loved. If we're talking about Jesus as the one who loves you, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? He laid his life down to love you. When you're really going to love in a Jesus fashion, remember Jesus says, love all the way to your enemies. <laughs> this is not a squishy, sentimental kind of thing Jesus calls us to. He says, lay your life down in love. Now, if we're going to pull that off, we're probably going to have to have somebody who's going to train us. We're going to have to learn it because a lot of times we don't learn the way of love. You know how well, you know how we've been very well trained? By the way, you'll be trained in this again thousand times between now and next Sunday. There are people lining up to train you to be selfish, to be self-protective, to be jealous, to be possessive. People are lining up to, to tempt you to be overly comfortable or way too busy or way too stressed or judgmental or materialistic. You just make your list. That list is very long in the ways that this world is training us, including God's people. We all run into it over and over and over again. Listen to me, who's going to retrain you in the way of love? With all that stuff coming your direction, who's going to train you to be full of love? And joy, and peace, and patience, and goodness, and gentleness, <laughs> kindness. How are we getting trained in that? Well, my friends, that is why we have invested so much time in the past year to say we have to be better prepared than we've ever been as a church family if we are going to equip people to become an unstoppable source of God's love that changes our world. You don't have to be here too long. Greg already talked about it this morning to hear us banging two drums. We keep saying, guys, we gather and we group. Every heitzer ought to gather at least once a week in some way, somehow, and everybody ought to be grouping with some other heitzers at least once a month. And that's a constant refrain in this church. So let's, let's talk about the gatherings and groups we're going to make available this fall. And by the way, the reason we gather in group is because this is when the training happens. And so these gatherings, first of all, we have our Sunday worship gatherings that, we have, uh, that we're having right now. You can do them uh, on site. You can do them online. But honestly, there's never been less of an excuse for God's people to gather in worship every single week than there is right now, right? With digital solutions available in your pocket 24 hours a day, you, you, uh, it's great to be in the room. Nothing really quite replaces this. But boy, if you can't be, you got that. And we're glad you online folks are with us today. Gather weekly in worship with God's people, however you have to do it. You have the new here gathering is a new one that we're rolling out in a couple of weeks. For those of you who are new to the Meadow Heights family, we'll do that about once a month. We have some get-togethers. We don't know what to call them yet, but right now there's get-togethers. If COVID will let us, we're going to try this this fall. We're going to get all the Meadow Heights guys together. We're going to get all the Meadow Heights gals together, and we're going to get the whole Meadow Heights family together at least one more time before the holidays. So we're working uh, on our community team of some more ways that we can connect and gather as God's people. Gather at least once a week in one of those ways, somehow, somewhere. And then we have the groups uh, up there. Our um, Get Real groups actually began this week. We got 30 heiters who are new to Get Real groups, and they got off to a really great start. Ten months we're going to spend together over Zoom, uh, being discipled in some of these ways of Jesus. I'm so excited about that. By the end of this ministry season, we'll have 80 heiters who have been through this Get Real groups process, where they encounter about five of those 10 practices for becoming and the tools to support them. 
And uh, we'll have four new apprentices by this time next year who will be able to be equipped to lead their own groups, four of us who are being trained this year, which is really, really awesome. Uh, too late for you to sign up for that one, I'm sorry. It will be coming, of course, back again in a few months. But we do have two other groups, Unique Primer and the full Unique Experience that are available and open now for another week or so. Uh, and you can sign up right now on the app. If you go to the group uh, monthly icon, you will see information about Unique. Quick summary. Unique Primer is exactly what it sounds like. It's a primer. It gets you ready. It's like a six-week mini group. We're going to do it in person. It costs $15 for your workbook is all. You pay right on the app. And um, we're going to make it so convenient. If you're at this gathering at Fredericktown at 9, you can hang around and do this group at 11. If you are normally in our Farmington gathering at 11, you can show up a little early at 9 and do the group and then stay for the gathering and get both of those in in the same morning for six weeks. It's going to start October 3rd. I think there are four October Sundays and two November Sundays with a couple off in there along the way. But the dates are all in the app. Again, $15. And here's what will happen in a unique primer uh, group. When you're done, you will know your two words, we call it. Or it will be your unique contribution. You will have a better read on what God's unique dream for your life might look like. It's well worth a six-week investment, my friends. So register. Deadline is approaching. Um, the unique groups are the full experience. This is pretty intense, I must admit. Uh, you will pay $200 for your kit, but you will use it the rest of your life. It is world-class stuff. Uh, if you were to go away and, and have this facilitated in Atlanta or Dallas or somewhere, it would cost you between $2,000 and $2,500 for the experience. We're charging nothing for the experience. You just buy your kit for $200. And there will be 10 Zoom sessions this fall, a break over Christmas, and 10 more in the winter, early spring. And next spring, we will be putting you on a 90-day implementation plan where we walk alongside you to design your life so that God's dream has the best chance of coming true from now till the day you die. If you've ever wanted a life planning process, if you've ever wanted some tools and a tribe to practice them with, this is your opportunity. And uh, you have one week to still sign up for this thing. And uh, they're only taking 12 people uh, for this first round. We have a Tuesday night group and a Wednesday morning group. Three of those spots are already gone. So uh, we have nine remaining for the next week. If you really want to jump in deep, it would be a great group and spiritual formation experience for you for this year. And then, of course, there are always serving teams that are groups we uh, engage in. If you're not serving, my goodness, you're missing a blessing of being able to give back and use your gifts in some way, and you're missing the chance to meet a few other people to do that too. You can serve mostly uh, once a month, maybe twice a month at the most, and uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you about that. The uh, Team Connect icon on the app is where you fill out a little form that somebody will call you, and we'll talk about it together. Group and gather. Now listen to me. I don't know what the next year will bring. Challenges and changes, I know that. I don't know what this may look like, where we're able to do this online, uh, if we have to do it online or we can do it on-site and in person. We're trying to figure out how to make all of those options work for us the best that we can. Here's what I do know, my friends. Church is not a solo sport. We're a family. We do this together. We gather and we group because that's where the training happens. And we cultivate each other's faith. And we celebrate with songs and stories like we did this morning. We cheer each other on. We connect like a family whenever we get a chance to be together. Amen? And that matters. It matters so very, very much. 
Wouldn't you like to think that a virus could not keep God's people apart? Again, online or, in, or, or on-site, I'm, both of those are allowable. Wouldn't you like to think that a virus wouldn't keep God's people apart? Amen? Wouldn't you like to think we wouldn't let politics tear us apart? Amen? <laughs> then we have choices to make, my friends. We got some work to do. If we're going to navigate these kinds of things together, and every time we gather in group, we have a chance to become the change that God dreams for the world. And that is, I think, our deepest conviction, is we cannot give up on the church. The church is a group of people who are learning together that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love, as Paul wrote to the Galatians. And I know nothing I've shared with you today is new. I get that. Here's what our hope is. I hope it's clearer. I hope you see that it's better supported. I hope it's easier to get your head wrapped around. I hope maybe it's a little easier to get your heart or your life engaged with this year than it's maybe ever been. As I wrap this up, I want you to imagine a couple of things with me. Imagine a whole bunch of us who actually know how to learn from Jesus, love like Jesus, and live as Jesus. I want you to imagine a local church that equips people for that and that you're part of that local church and that when every Heitzer gets a little piece of God's dream, we all start to see what God's dream looks like together. As you start to live out your little piece of the story, our part of the story looks clearer too. And then it starts to show up out of here in our communities where we live, work, uh, learn, and play. What kind of amazing thing could God do with a few people who are deeply committed to what he's up to in our world? That's always been what this church has been about. And wouldn't it be great if over time, because this is the kind of thing that happens over time, by, by the way. This is not an overnight sensation. This doesn't just like, hey, man, next week we're going to go out with a bang. We're going to do something giant. Well, this says over the next year, two years, five years, what could happen? What could happen if you grow and change? What could happen if we grow and change? Would some neighbors possibly wonder if God is as wild about them as you think God is about you? Is it possible somebody else might say, man, I wish I could live God's dream. For Does he have a dream for my life too? And maybe we could help them get in on it as well? Uh, I guess here's what I'm saying. It's the same big dream we've always had. It's just that we had to upgrade the fuse box to be able to handle the load that we think that God's going to give us as we just keep plugging into it in better ways. And so that's really what I'm sharing with you today. That if we want to be the unstoppable force of God's love that changes our world, we better equip people to become the unstoppable source of God's love that changes our world because that's the only thing that'll ever get this job done. It's the only thing adequate for this dream to really come true, my friends. These are challenging times, no doubt. And I don't think we have to pretend like they're not because we're people of faith. I think we can hold the tension of both things together. This is challenging, hard, and sometimes sad. Yet God is still with us, and God is still working, and he still has plans for his people, and he is not done with us on this planet yet. Amen? Both those things can be true at the same time. And I thought we might need to be reminded of that today. Some of you have this Big Dream 1.0 memorized, so you might need the words. I'm going to put it on the screen. How about we just say it together as sort of a pact for the Meadow Heights family today? Would you read this uh, Big Dream with me? Our Big Dream is to equip people to become an unstoppable source of God's love that changes our world. You bet. Listen to me. 
Love matters most. Learning to love matters if love's that important. We have to commit ourselves to learning to love. And there's never been a time that God's love hasn't been needed. I know this feels like maybe the most difficult thing some of us have been through for the longest period of time. I don't know. The world's seen things this bad and worse. And God's love has prevailed. And the only thing that will change this country, this church, this world for the good is the love of God. I'm deeply convinced of that. And the love of God gets delivered always through his people. We have work to do. Amen? We have work to do. And that's why our life together matters so much. Together, we get to become the change. I want to do this to end our time together. I'd like for us to pray the Lord's Prayer together before we go. Can we do that? Uh, in case you don't have it memorized, we're going to put it on the screen too. All right? Plus, we all have different words we use along the way, depending on which version of the Bible you heard it from or memorized it from. So this will bring us all together, all right? Would you stand with me? And uh, would we pray the Lord's Prayer uh, together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And amen. I don't know if what I've shared today, I hope it's been helpful for you. I hope it's been clarifying for you. Uh, if you think it might be helpful for somebody else in our church family who you're afraid might have missed it, I would encourage you to share it with them. All right? If you think it might encourage or bless them in some way. And next week, come back, and we will begin that new series, and we'll start learning from Jesus. I'm going to kick it off, and I'm going to talk to you about noticing God at work in and around you and what it looks like to develop a practice of that every day so that you will see his activity more often than you've ever seen it before. And we will begin these 10 practices for becoming over the course of this fall. Now, until then, the only thing that counts is our faith expressing itself in love. Amen? We get to go be the source of God's love in our world. What a crazy privilege that is. Go love well, and we'll see you back here next Sunday. We love you. You're dismissed.